And now, enjoy this free JZO Modcast show. Welcome, welcome to episode 13, of season six of My Public Life as an American Nerd. This is the mid-season finale. So after today's episode, um, you won't have another one till November. So I know a lot of you are sad, but try not to be. It'll be fine. It'll be fun. You can always find me on Pastrami and all that other stuff. And speaking of Pastrami Nation, uh, my guest today is, uh, uh, you know, a frequent guests on on the pastrami nation podcast he also co-hosts the brick therapy pastrami nation's brick therapy podcast with me and jason smith uh christian nakorda how you doing man i'm doing good glad to be here again always happy to talk with you yeah man it's uh gonna be a fun show we got some really cool stuff lined up we have an, uh, a special uh interview um to uh present for you guys in a little bit um we got the author of a book called See You at San Diego, An Oral History of Comic-Con, Fandom, and the Triumph of Geek Culture. His name is Matthew Kickstein. Uh, we'll cut to the interview a little bit later, but this guy, this book is all about Comic-Con. It's about the history of Comic-Con and, you know, judging from, from the title, An Oral History of Comic-Con, Fandom, and the Triumph of Geek Culture. Uh, he talks about everything from the con itself to the community of Comic-Con to just nerd culture in general. Um the book features, like I was talking to you earlier about it, uh, Christian, a little bit, but you know, he's done interviews with Neil Gaiman, Frank Miller, Kevin Smith, Bruce Campbell, Felicia Day, uh, Scott Ackerman, uh, Stan Sakai, Lloyd Kaufman, Kevin Eastman, Russo Brothers. He got the Russo Brothers. Um, so that's pretty cool. Um, that is a laundry list of some of my favorite people. Dude, he cool. got... The forward is by Stan Sakai and Jeff Smith. Wow. And Jesus. a special introduction by the RZA, Rizzo. Wow. wow. So, um, yeah, this guy's a real deal. We'll talk about the uh, interview a little bit later. Um, but first, you know, movie, video game adaptations generally, uh, they're hit or miss, right? Like, we either love them or we hate them. Well, I don't think I've ever really loved one. Um, but they're serviceable right um i can't think of one that i particularly love with the passion but i can think of ones that are really good like ones that i'll watch again one that is ones that i have watched again um i only bring this up because bioshock is finally making progress we heard earlier this year that it was going to be a netflix thing no one knew if it was going to be a tv show or a movie um but they announced a director this past week, Mr. Francis Lawrence. Um, now, for those of you who don't know Francis Lawrence, he's been directing for a while. He did the original Constantine with Keanu Reeves. He also oh. did I Am Legend uh, with Will Smith. And he's done a bunch of the Hunger Games movies, a few of them. Um, so... I got to start out by saying I'm kind of on the fence about it, but I'm pretty excited by what Francis Lawrence could bring to it, especially after I, we know he can do like a dystopian type thing, right? Especially with I Am Legend. Um, this is dystopian underwater. <laughs> so, I mean, I think he can he can pull that off. Uh, Constantine obviously has that horror. Both of those have their horror elements to them, which Bioshock needs. Um, personally, I was holding out for the Gore Verbinski uh, directed Bioshock movie. Um, I don't know how much you guys know about that drama, but you can look it up. There was a whole thing going on with that. I'm sure you're caught up with that uh, drama, Christian, mm -hmm. a little bit at least. Uh, you know, his vision for it was a was a big movie. <laughs> he wanted big, real yeah. sets, um, yeah. like crazy. And I think now you can pull it off with um again i'm gonna forget what it's called but what's the technology they use on mandalorian and stuff oh the the oh my god the uh, the volume I yeah think call it, right? yeah i think uh, personally i think that'll be the best bet if they're not going to go with um physical sets physical sets um, or be on location um, right? 
what are your thoughts, Christian? What do you think about this news? Are you excited for it? Um, I think what what excites me is, is Lawrence himself. Um, I like the projects that he was attached to and he worked on in the past. I I am Legend is one of my. I mean, it's it's kind of weird talking about it now, but he's one yeah. was one of my favorite Will Smith movies. Um, it still is. It's still a good movie. It holds oh, up. Oh yeah. Like, um, um, God, what was the other thing that he worked on? Uh, Constantine. Um, Constantine. I actually yeah, really like honest. Constantine. I know people have issues with that because they, they kind of took a lot of liberties with it um, and changed it a lot from the comic books, but I still think it's like a really fun movie. Um, and there's some really cool performances in that. Uh, it looks like it's going to also have the Michael Green, the writer from Logan. Yes. To adapt yes. the screenplay, which is huge. I think that's also that's awesome. Um, so, you know, this could be really good. Uh, you were talking earlier about at, like get video game adaptations. I think, you know, they also showed some footage from The Last of Us, um, the TV show. Yeah, that I heard HBO about. Yeah, doing. I haven't watched any of the footage yet. I, I know it was released. Like twenty seconds. There's like twenty. Yeah, seconds, yeah. So there's barely anything, uh, but it's it's kind of exciting to see. Um, I I love um, who they have casted. Obviously, um, oh my god, I can't think of his name. The Mandalorian. Oh, Pedro. Just, Pedro. Pedro Pascal. Pedro Pascal. Yeah, speaking of Mandalorian, yeah, um, yeah, he's he's playing. Yeah, he's he's playing the lead for The Last of Us, and um, which kind of makes sense because he kind of looks the part. But also, like, you know, he's kind of already Joel because the Mandalorian is kind of Joel, right? Um, uh, it's except like the I think they were very. There's like one line of dialogue in that trailer, um, which it like totally sets it apart. Like it's different. Um, also, the casting for Ellie I think is really cool. So I'm excited for that. Um, I aside from that, video game adaptations. Maybe I liked Detective Pikachu. That was fun. Detective Pikachu was good. Um, I feel like you know we were talking about this in our in our group chat. We have a fun Strawmy Nation group chat that we like to talk in sometimes and and right. get into it a little bit. Um, I think uh, I think as far as tone and as far as as kind of you know getting the mission like what we needed to do. I felt like the first Sonic movie like really got it. Uh second one not so much. Second one I felt just kind of dragged on a little bit, but the first Sonic movie I thought was near near perfection, but didn't get there. Wow. Um yeah, I think I think it um it was a lot of fun. I felt like it accomplished what it wanted to. I do feel like it had somewhat of a generic kind of storyline with, you know, the cop and just it just seemed like, you know, we've seen James Marsden act against a green screen, you know, a little furry <laughs> animal so many times. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's good at it, though, right? Like, mm-hmm. he he does it. I, a hop is the other one I can, you know, it's like a Easter staple in my household, and we watch it, and then we mm-hmm. watch Sonic now because it's it's him, and it's, it almost feels like a good double feature. Right. Um, but, yeah, um, <clears throat> other than that, I can't, you know, like Tomb Raider – the new Tomb Raider. I thought they did really well. There was one plot point in the movie that I won't spoil in case you haven't seen it. Well, I think it's been long enough. Have you seen it? Yeah. Yeah. So the whole thing with their dad and everything, um, which wasn't particularly, you know, because in the games, it never really happened that way. Right. Where they right. find dad on the island and stuff that right. that kind of threw me off guard a little bit. But otherwise, I thought that one was really well done. Um, and I've I've enjoyed so I've enjoyed, you know, Mortal Kombat. Uh, the new one I thought was decent. The 95 version, as corny yeah, yeah. as it is. I, I love the old version, the, the original. Christopher um, Lambert um, was perfectly cast. Like, the, it was just a lot of fun, right? Like, again, they knew what they were doing. Like, that's another one that they understood the mission. They knew what they need to do. <laughs> and they just need to do it. And then Paul Paul Anderson, right? Right. It's Paul Anderson. Wait, so there's pt okay so it's not pt anderson it's paul anderson yeah paul anderson yeah paul anderson of course he went on to do the resident evil movies uh it's the first one i enjoyed and i'll watch that series any time of the day not gonna lie i think the mila jovovich movies are fun um (laughs) they're not good at all right right but um yeah i don't I don't know, man. Like, I think if if there's probably people listening right now that are probably screaming, um, Arcane. I have to bring up. Arcane. Oh yeah, well, like uh, I would say, if now that is kind of a game changer. The reason why I hesitate to say Arcane is because it's based on League, like League of Legends, right. and I don't think there was much of any kind of story to begin with with that. So, 
you know, I think like they're like, hey, let's take these interesting looking characters and like let's give them a story right. finally. But it's so perfectly and beautifully done. Yeah. Um, I think No, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. No, I was gonna say, like, I feel like animation um does it better, right? Like animation's going to do it better. Like there was a Mortal Kombat movie, an animated Mortal Kombat movie that came out last year, uh, the Scorpion's Revenge, mm. which I thought was really well done, other than like Warner Brothers like weird use of like you know so many frames per second where it looks kind of choppy but um i thought that was really well done i think i know they're doing like like the castlevania series on oh yeah those are great too those are are good too um i feel like animation does it well uh super mario is going to be coming out later this year we'll see how that turns out but that's you know oh yeah i forgot about that yeah uh (laughs) you know on that one i'm excited for it the Chris Pratt as Mario still kind of throws me off. I have no idea what he's going to do. Uh, yeah. Uh, but Charlie Day as, as Luigi, dude, I'm, I'm, I'm there. So good. I'm all for it. Yeah. A Bowser, Jack Black, like it's yeah. just it's per- perfect casting otherwise. So I'm excited for that. Uh, and they're doing a, a Tomb Raider animated uh, series for Netflix as well. From oh, the okay. studio so, as Castlevania. Interesting. Um, so that should be cool. And what uh, Assassin's Creed. We talk about Assassin's Creed for a second. Yeah, <laughs> so, I, I actually have it Googled right now, or like the, the IMDb page on Assassin's Creed up right now. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, please. So I was, you know, I'm a big Assassin's Creed fan. Like, I love the series. I got tattoo. Like, I got, like, I, I the whole series is just amazing. Um, But then the movie comes out. Michael, you know, you think with that, with that pedigree, right? You had. Uh, on paper. On paper. On paper. Like, yeah. It's incredible cast. You got the director. He did uh what did he do? He did Macbeth. the Macbeth. Yeah. yeah. With Fastbender. And you're like, all right, like this is for real. Like this is gonna be like a dramatic action movie. You know, it's gonna have all the elements that make Assassin's Creed good. But then like even Michael Fassbender said recently in an interview, like he wishes there was more action. Like he he was talking about that movie specifically, and he's like, they've messed up because they thought people wanted the drama like people wanted the modern day stuff which was not true yeah that's not why people check into that's not why people love the games. no um i i i just i was excited for it and then like you know i think there are times where movies are like you get stoked for them and then i whatever it is like eight weeks or a few weeks before the movie releases like yeah. like this feeling kind of comes over to you um, I remember having the same thing with the, the third Raimi Spider Man. I'm like, oh, I was so stoked, oh, yeah. and then then all of a sudden, I'm like, wait a minute, is this good? This might be bad. Um, yeah, I, I it's such a shame because I also love love the Assassin's Creed series. Yeah. Um, and on paper, that should have been amazing. It's I, I think everybody was kind of banking on this being this is it. This is going to be the video game movie adaptation that like we're going to start a whole new like genre now and yeah. It just didn't happen, though. So yeah, no, and I think um, it worries me though because we got so Resident Evil with you know they rebooted for the Netflix series, right? They first season now it's canceled it's already. Yeah, it's gone already. already. Uh, they're doing the same thing with Assassin's Creed. Assassin's Creed series is coming to Netflix, um, and it'll probably get canceled after the first season. <laughs> Not necessarily, you know, and judging from quality, like I watched the first few episodes of Resident Evil, and there's a reason why I only watched the first few <laughs> episodes of Resident yeah. Evil. Like it wasn't great, but like it wasn't, I didn't hate it. It was just like it didn't keep my interest as long as it as it needed to. But I've always been of the theory, I know it's expensive, but to give give shows at least two seasons, right? To like really kind of work themselves out, work out all the kinks and show what they really can be. Because a lot of shows, you don't really get the full extent till you second get, or third yeah. season, right? They when don't really get stride. into the swing. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. I think the difference is though, it's streaming and the way that they measure success in the streaming on a streaming platform is different than like regular television. Because like, mm-hmm. you know, obviously like they can see like who's watching, but like, I th- I don't think they care about how many people are watching necessarily on a streaming platform as much as seeing how many new viewers this show has brought. So I know right. like one of the things they very much pay attention to is like when when they new new um, subscribers, uh, what is like the first thing that they're watching, right? Mm. Like that's like a, a huge thing. So 
I just saw it, like Neil Gaiman just talked about it, and he's trying to get people to like, you know, get Netflix accounts and like start watching it. But you know, Sandman has been yeah. number one for the last three weeks, and they're still not even guaranteed that they're going to be greenlit for a season two, um, which is heartbreaking because it's right. so good. It's so good, but I don't know. We'll we'll see. If if all we got was that one season, then we that was just some of. I would I would put that up there with. <laughs> Um, what, what was that? Um, oh my god, the Joss Whedon thing. I can't even think right now. Oh, uh, Serenity. Um, Serenity. Or the, um, yeah. That's, yeah. Uh, what's the show called? Firefly. Right? Firefly. 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 I, I, I mean, Firefly, I kind of like it's great. It's fantastic. I think Firefly is great because it never got a chance to get bad. Right. Um, but I, I sincerely like Sandman is just the most one of the most gorgeous I, things i need to watch sand man. yeah when you get a chance when you get a chance it's so i'm gonna watch though. it um hopefully hopefully next week when i get home we're gonna binge it my my whole family wants to watch it like they're all like chomping at the bit to go watch it and i'm like oh well just wait till i get home please yes yes they also released two like an extra episode um i don't know if you heard about that like oh yeah couple, i heard about that yeah definitely watch it at the end uh but Dana, my girlfriend, said that that she actually liked the, that extra episode more than the whole thing. Um, she loved it so much, but nice. she's yeah, we both loved like adored the Sandman. So, uh, well, but yeah, awesome. I, I uh, going back to the whole Bioshock thing, I feel a little close to the 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 property because you know I, I got to work on right. some stuff for that. Um, so I I was introduced to the whole thing on Bioshock too. So I never actually played the first one. Well, okay. I did eventually after I played the second one. But for those of you that that know Bioshock, I didn't know what I was doing because <laughs> I didn't know the context. So I was just like sacrificing all the girls. And I'm like, oh, I get more power? Sure. <laughs> and then like I went back and I played the first one. And I'm like, what have I done? Uh, <laughs> went back, played the second one again and did it yeah. properly. Um, love, love the Bioshock series. Love Same. Bioshock Infinite. Like, Same. Adora, Adora, Bioshock Infinite. So I, I do really want to see success for this. Um, cause, and I think it it has the capability, like Last of Us, there's such like a, a deep well of story. Yeah. Um, so. Especially the first, the first couple, because I feel like there is a, you know, concrete story in those games. But mm. I also feel like there's a lot of room to play around, right? Especially yeah. in the first two games. So the thing that worries me about them ever... So I, I'm a big Bioshock fan too. Like right above, like Assassin's Creed and Bioshock are like at that level. I'd, I'd have to say Bioshock's maybe a little bit higher too. Um, the thing that worries me if they ever... Because I feel like Bioshock Infinite is going to be a lot harder to adapt than yes. the first two games because yes. it's already perfect as is, right? Like you, you know, anything you add, anything you take away is going to diminish or is going to diminish the experience no matter what, right? I can't see yeah. anything being added to that or even being able to be taken out and still give you that full experience. Um, so I hope as much as I'd love to see a big budget Bioshock infinite movie, just go off the walls crazy. You know, I hope they don't get that far. <laughs> I hope we yeah. get two, maybe three, you know, and you can base them all in rapture. Right. So it's not going yeah. to have to be a full, you know, uh, it doesn't have to be like you do the first game, then the second game, then the third game, you can tell all these different stories. And I hope we get a, you know, a, an adaptation of the first game and then we maybe get a prequel like i'd love to see just rapture falling apart right like right. as like a prequel series Ooh, in that period awesome. you know yeah like, that'd be great gosh wouldn't that that would be so cool like andrew ryan like at the top of his game you know mm -hmm. i think it would just be it'd be like the great gatsby but like mm -hmm. horror Under, and underwater, underwater. <laughs> yeah. and that would be freaking incredible i'd be totally down with that um but yeah, yeah, man, we'll see how it turns out. Francis Lawrence, I feel like it's in capable hands. Like I said before, I do think Gore Verbinski could have brought some something special to it, like that special touch like he did with Pirates yeah. and, and everything. Because I think he's a freaking genius director. I'm not going to lie. I think he's no, yeah, amazing. it's brilliant. Um, but um, I felt like he's been kind of shut out lately. I don't know. If I have been, I don't remember the last project. Yeah, I think it was that wellness movie, the, the cure for wellness. I think that was the last one he did. And I think that's why he kind of, mm. I don't think people like that movie too much. So, um, 
but anyways, uh, that that should be coming. Who knows when that's coming out? They got the director; they're writing it right now. We'll see what happens. Um, no casting or anything has been um, has been announced. Um, so with that, um, I kind of want to cut into our interview real quick. Um, we have an interview with Matthew Clickstein. Uh, like I say, he wrote a book, "See You at San Diego: The Oral History of Comic Con Fandom and the Triumph of Geek Culture." We talk about Comic-Con a little bit. We talk about nerd culture in general. Just perfect for this podcast. Um, so yeah, we'll go ahead and cut to that real quick and we'll see you guys on the other side. And today I have a very special guest, uh, very cool uh, interview. Um, Matthew Clickstein, who is uh, an author. He wrote a book, um, See You at San Diego, An Oral History of Comic-Con Fandom and the Triumph of Geek culture welcome to the show thank you for chatting with me today thank you for having me on the show kevin i really appreciate it of course um so tell me a little bit about this book so i was doing some reading and started out as an as an audio uh documentary an audio podcast or whatever you'd want to call it I believe it's more documentary um tell me about that how did that all come about and then how did it kind of transform into the book that's going to be released soon yeah, and, they, and, they, and thanks for mentioning the uh, the uh, taxonomy of of what it is. Exactly, um, I hate the term podcast. I'm not a big podcast guy, but I gotcha. love the term. Yeah, it, it's definitely an audio documentary. Um, this is not a bunch of people just chatting and laughing and giggling with their dogs barking in the uh, background. Comic Con <laughs> Begins was the audio documentary that we did for SiriusXM and Stitcher last year. Worked very hard on it. And it's a six-part six part series available for free. Anyone uh, listening to this right now could listen to it for free on any any audio platform. Very cool. Again, called Comic-Con Begins. Yep. And it is the full audio documentary of how not only Comic-Con, which happens to be the biggest pop culture gathering worldwide, happened, but how the whole fandom scene that we know of today, geek culture, as some people call it, happened over the last century, going back even to the 1930s, well before Comic-Con even started. Um, very proud of that project. Um, it did well enough that a couple of our cartoonists, Stan Sakai of Usayu Jimbo fame and Hoche yeah. Anderson, who did the fantastic uh, Martin Luther King Jr. graphic novel, uh, both uh, regular cartoonists for Fanographics, um, at my request uh talked to gary gross the publisher of fanographics and said hey um this would make a great book and gary agreed with me especially since frankly gary and fanographics as rightly so are a big part of the story um among other things they helped to create the eisners which uh oh. are considered the oscars of the comics world yeah. and really are part of not only comics both cs and x uh underground comics but also just really part of how our geek culture scene and fandom scene happen. I mean, Gary Groth, uh, who I've become very close with over the last uh, two years of working on this book, um, was, you know, a, a true pioneer of geekdom and fandom and made so much of what's happening now happen. We have some great pictures in the book of him with people like Jules Pfeiffer and Bud Plant and many other people that are so important to the scene that helped us to create the scene that we live in today where not only fandom and geek culture rules, but that, that, you know, it, it is that pop culture and comics culture rules the roost, all the movies, all the TV shows, yeah. uh, comics and science fiction and fantasy. And that happened because of people like Gary Groff and Fantagraphics and the people that we talked to for this book, some of whom are well into their seventies and eighties now. So I'm very proud to have been able to put that together, that audio documentary and now this book coming out uh, September 6th, their fanographics, See You at San Diego. Very cool. Um, so, you know, you said that, you know, all the way, tracing all the way back to the 1930s when this geek nerd culture kind of really started to become yeah. a thing. Um, sure. So, you know, there's been kind of this, obviously, like you, you mentioned, you know, it rules the roost now. It's like completely everywhere. Everywhere you look, there's, you know, movies, TV shows, everything is catered towards nerd culture now. Um, yeah. When do you think that that was there? Is there a moment that you can maybe point to or think about that really kind of made that click that, um, you know, obviously in the 90s, it it seemed to kind of 
it was there, but it seemed to kind of go away a little bit. I was born in 1980. So I grew up with like Ninja Turtles and like this fandom and everything. And then during the nineties, it seemed to decrease just a little bit where it wasn't as purveyant in pop culture as it is now. Um, when do you think that that kind of, you know, change kind of came back? Like when, what, what was it that you think um, made it popular again, made it become how the juggernaut that it is today? Of course, I'm not the first person to suggest that 1984 was a really important year. Right. Uh, there have been a lot of articles and um, I think at least one book and some documentaries even about how 1984 was really when the Revenge of the Nerds happened. And uh, it's very apropos that that's when the literal film Revenge of the Nerds came out, <laughs> as well as uh, so many other great films, Ghostbusters and Terminator and um, so many of the films came out that year that really highlighted for the rest of the country and the world that this, these are the kinds of films that are happening now. Karate Kid, Gremlins. These are really important films that we are revisiting now even 30, 40 years later. Yeah. Um, Karate Kid example of, uh, you know, Cobra Kai being such a big deal on streaming um, and it is that idea of the weirdo, nerdy, misfit, outsider, kid from out of town, you know, skinny uh, kid who gets the, the crap beat out of him and he has to learn how to become stronger. And so much of that is about believing in himself <clears throat> and taking to heart what it is that makes him an outsider and makes him a weirdo and using that as an advantage. And we see this in... Revenge of the Nerds and the other films of that time, The Goonies is such a great right. example of that. The very thing that makes people weird and strange and different and outsiders and alienated from everybody else, girls and other guys and friends and whatever, are the very things that make them special and make them unique. And that is such a story of so many superheroes, whether it's Superman being from another planet, being an immigrant, being an orphan. Uh, or Batman, again, being an orphan. Um, and even the fact that Batman had all the money in the world made him different from everybody else, made him alienated from everybody else. Yeah, it's great to have all that money, but at the same time, it also separated him from the rest of us in a way that he had to really figure out how to reconcile. And that's a beautiful story. Spider-Man, Fantastic Four. These are people that X-Men is, I mean, the story of X-Men is literally about the story of the misfit right. becoming strong based on what makes them strange and different. Um, you know, even uh, I think it's X-Men two or three, you know, there's, a, there's that great funny scene where the mother says, you know, can't you try not being a mutant? Right. No, part two, they, yeah. they, can't, they can't not be immune. They have to be mutants. They have to make this happen. And, Obviously, everyone from, you know, Brian Singer for Good or Ill with, with, with the X-Men movie where it shows Magneto coming from the Holocaust to Chris Claremont saying that Magneto and Professor X being the way that they are is based on different prime ministers from Israel and so forth. It's, there's, a, there's a real sense of these people being based on misfits and outsiders and outliers and people who are fighting against the status quo and who are trying to change what it is that's weird and different about them into something that's a positive and changing a weakness into a strength, a super strength. That is what the history of not only comics, but science fiction and fantasy. I mean, let's let's go to Lord of the Rings. You know, the, the hobbits are small and seemingly weak and feckless and craven, these little guys, and they are taking on the world, the universe, and, and the, the evil that exists existentially, even though they're little and, 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 they're, and they seem kind of weak. That, that is what all of these stories are about. Um, and, you know, whether it's going back to the Odyssey and the Iliad and going back to the Pilgrim's Progress, Paul Bunyan, and, and, and these other stories, even, you know, the Bible, if you will, and whatnot. I'm not a, a particularly religious person, but right. all of the great stories of humankind are about figuring out a way to reconcile how weakness and what makes you different and strange and unique can be a positive and can be a superpower for you and to help save the people around you in the world. And that's 
so much of what we connect with when we geek out on these comic book stories and science fiction stories and these fantasy stories, it's why this is so important. No matter what your background is or who you are, where you're coming from, your age or any of these other, you know, identity things that are that are breaking us apart these days, mm. we can all come back together again in a very syncretic way of believing in what makes us special is what makes us strong. And right. if we can find ways to connect with other people who want to be strong too, we can we can save the world. And that's what this is about. And it's a beautiful thing. And I wanted to do a podcast and then a book on the folks who really saw it that way. And, you know, you can hear it in my voice. This is mm. not just fun goofiness and buying comic books and buying toys. This is why people identify with it so much and make it so much a part of their philosophy and their ideology of who they are as people and make things like cell phones from Star Trek and make mm. things that change our world in such ways that were inspired by Jack Kirby and Gene Roddenberry and H.G. Wells and Ray Bradbury and H.P. Lovecraft in a way that has made the world what it is today and, not, and way beyond just entertainment and arts mm -hmm. and anything. And it comes from people who were inspired by the folks that we're talking about here, Flash Gordon, Buck Rogers, Twilight Zone. This is all really important things and I wanted to get on record the people in their 60s and 70s and 80s, you know, who are not going to be around much longer to talk about how they made this happen. That's mm -hmm. what this project's about. And it's fun and it's goofy and there's farts and books and burps and boogers and, oh, yeah. and boobs and butts and all the other fun stuff that we all love. But also, there, this is an important part of it too, is how much this has affected our culture. So we can have right. a sense of humor about it. We can be lighthearted about it. And Simpsons and everything else and beyond the valley that alls but it's also about how we we change culture together through this material yeah absolutely we do yeah um thank you for that um so tell me a little bit about yourself what is your kind of so you're talking about comic-con um do you remember the first uh, comic-con you went to and and what was that experience like for you <laughs> you know, I was just answering that question earlier for another interview, and um, uh, for good or ill, my first Comic Con experience is very unique. Mm. I um, I'm actually the director and producer of a documentary about Mark Summers from Nickelodeon's okay. Double Dare. Yeah, that works on. Um, we did a, a a tour of the film as part of a theater project. He was doing some other things with Alamo Draft House and and whatnot a few years ago. And okay. as part of that, we uh, I brought a small crew to Comic-Con in 2016 uh, during the 30th anniversary of Nickelodeon's Double Dare, and Mark Summers was a big part of that. So we were spending our entire time cool. filming Cinema Verite style. So I my first Comic-Con was, uh, I was working, and I was making right. a film, uh, and I'm following around somebody who, you know, people are coming up to us and he's doing, uh, you know, on the street interviews with people and he's throwing pies at people's faces and he's doing signings. And so I really got to experience my very first Comic-Con, uh, the height of what that would be like with somebody who is part of what we were talking about earlier with, which is, you know, this fandom scene. I mean, Mark Summers for so many of us in the 80s generation. Yeah. He, he was our Mr. Wizard. He was our Captain Kangaroo. He was our, uh, you know, Howdy Doody, whatever you want to put it. He, he was our guy. And, you know, right up there with Pee Wee Herman and, and Punky Brewster and some of these others. And so I, I'm at, you know, the largest pop culture gathering worldwide with one of the godheads of pop culture for our generation and others as well. And so it was a very interesting experience. It was a lot of fun. It was really intense. You know, I, I'm I'm having to work. I'm having to have my crew make sure we're getting releases from people that we're filming and make sure we're coordinating correctly with Nickelodeon, you know, Viacom. Right. I mean, it, it was nuts. I mean, we really were doing it and filming everything. Um, uh, one of the guys from Impractical Jokers came up to us dressed <laughs> that as is awesome. Joker. Um, yeah, I, I'm sorry, I cannot remember which guy he was, 
Um, but, you know, there were celebrities coming up to him in full garb like that, in full cosplay, who were wanting to talk to him. And, you know, they'd walk away and we'd have to go and get their, their releases because we were filming them, That's talking cool. with Mark. And, you know, oh, you're so-and-so. My goodness. You know, we, we're fans of yours. We have your autograph. So it, it was, you know, we're going underground and we're getting guided around by escorts. That and is crazy. It, it was it was an interesting way to be introduced into the world of Comic-Con, uh, to be sure. And honestly, I can't remember very much except for how much I was focused on Mark and the film we were making uh, on your Mark, which, uh, you know, we, we showed around on a tour uh, shortly after that. But yeah, so it, it was a wild time. I, it really was. That's cool. Well, that's awesome. Um I've never been to San Diego Comic-Con, but I've been to many Comic-Cons up here in the Pacific Northwest, Rose City Comic-Con and Emerald City. Um, sure. Two really awesome uh, Comic-Cons that I love going to. Um, I write for a website called Strummy Nation. So um, every time I go, it's generally, it's obviously not working to the same extent as you are, but it's covering the con and things like that, you know, so getting able to, you know, cover it and stuff is, is well, really, that, really cool that's experience. so important too kevin it really is because you know when people ask me about my first comic-con and i'm able to throw out there oh i was making a documentary about you know one of the the, the big right. pop culture mark summers i also like to and, I, and i'm glad this gives me an opportunity to say it, my dad was a super geek when i was a kid he was really into magic the gathering that he was cool. really into dragons He's really into video games. He's one of those people. He collected action figures, uh, matchbox cars, the nice. whole thing. Video games. He was a gamer. We had all, you know, we had TurboGrafx-16 and Turbo CD and Sega CD. We had it all. My friends loved coming over to my dad's house because that was his. I mean, the only bad part about it was that he wanted so much. Like, he would literally, like you know like push me aside to play the game it's like dad like i want to play the beavis and butthead you know sega game great. for the first time like no he's playing it you know like he just was a super geek and um you know he was he he was into all of it and he had it all so i had this access to, to so much of that stuff but he would bring me on the weekends when i'd come and visit him uh to the to the real to the real <laughs> convention that were at like warehouses, you know, and, like these factories on the weekends, you know, on a Saturday or Sunday from mm -hmm. 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. at some place. And, you know, we'd go in there and it would smell and it was just a bunch of guys and they're, and yeah, it was just a bunch of dads and sons, uh, you know, some, some women too, but it was, it was, you know, let's be honest, it was a bunch of dads and sons right. going around looking at baseball cards and comic books and Magic the Gathering cards and D&D stuff and video games and i mean he brought me to the real conventions that were done by people who you know were just renting these spaces i i to this day i'll have to ask him at some point right. i really just sent a copy to this book hoping that he'll love it because he he raised me on this stuff i mean my dad was an early geek before it was cool who brought me these things and so on, cool. you know i i've told before you know, when I turned 12 and 13, I was embarrassed by it. You know, it was like I turned away from it because it's like it's the thing that my dad did. And I'm, I'm trying to get away with it. I'm, I'm not kidding. I went with him one time to a Toys R Us. This is how long ago it was where he wanted to buy some Star Wars figures. And there was a girl at my high school who's a little older than I. And I mean, just right out of a sitcom, right out of a movie. <laughs> there she was. Not only working at the Toys R Us, of course, but working the line that my dad went into, and you know, we looked at each other, and she knew me, and I knew her, and all I'm thinking is, I just want to say, like, this is my dad's stuff. Like, this isn't for me. <laughs> like, I'm not buying these Star Wars action figures. I mean, I literally <laughs> had that moment with my dad. That's how much of a geek he was. Um, but you know, he introduced me to this when I was a kid. He really brought me into it. And to this day, he sends me pictures of toys he buys. And he's that one of those so guys cool. up on an eBay. He loves it. It's the part of who he is and what he does. He's a gamer, big, big gamer. He buys all those speakers for his computer and the whole thing. And, you know, so for me, it's a connection to him and to my father and to my family and who I am as a person, the way that other people might be connected to their parents or their 
fathers through sports or baseball or through, you know, religious experiences or whatever. For me, my dad raised me on geek culture and brought me to my, my real first conventions. My real first cons were, you know, the real deal, just, you know, guys, you know, on the weekends selling mm-hmm. some of their stuff and, and, you know, there's no celebrities, there's no media. It was just, Hey, here, here's our baseball cards. Here's our magic, the gathering cards. Here's our comic books. Here's our video games. Here's our action figures. And that's what my dad brought me to. And I'd be, you know, by the end, like, again, I'd, I'd be bored. I'd be embarrassed. I'd be annoyed. Um, but that it really had a big impact on me when I was 10 and 11, 12 years old was just going there with my dad. It was what he did who he is as a man today. And, you know, I appreciate it. And, um, you know, and, and I, and it took me a while to come back to the fold and now here I am writing the book on it. So, right. That's really cool to hear, man. That's a great, um, journey. Um, you have, so going back to the book, you have some really, really great interviews in this book, or obviously on the audio documentary. Um, you know, I just want to talk about some of the more, more notable ones that I see on here. You got Neil Gaiman, Frank Miller, Kevin Smith, Bruce Campbell, Felicia Day, Scott Ackerman, um, the Russo brothers, Lloyd Kaufman, um, Kevin Eastman, and, and many, many other people. Um, and you said the book comes out September 6th, correct? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, where can people find it? Where can they pick it up? Is it going to be available in bookstores? Is it going to be online? Uh, it'll, yeah, it'll be everywhere. Um, I, I always like to tell people to order their books from their local bookstores. I'm Absolutely. a local book kid. Um, you know, I love the local bookstores. I love the local comic book stores. I love the libraries. Um, I would really like it if people were able to get it from that. My publisher and my business side of me over the last few years uh, wants to tell everyone, please order this on Amazon. Right. Please review it on Amazon because that the more reviews you do, the higher it gets ranked in the algorithm. That's horrible and terrible, but is what we all have to deal with. So I would love it if anybody who's listening to this buys it on Amazon and Absolutely. reviews it. On, but you know, do what you can also to support your local bookstore and comic book shop um, and library because that's really important too. So yeah, it'll it'll be everywhere. Um, look, I, you know, I I went specifically to Fanographics at the beginning of this. I've published books through all the big majors, Penguin Random House, Simon and Schuster, Harper Collins. I've worked with a number of other companies. I mean, I've had two or three books come out in the last year, two alone, two years alone. Even other comic book companies like AfterShock. Um, right. But I really wanted after uh, I really wanted um, Fanographics for this. As I said earlier, they're part of the story. Gary Groff, the publisher, is a part of the story. Um, we've got pictures of him in the book. We've got pictures of Fanographics people in the book. You know, they, they, they've been there, you know, since the beginning in the, in the mid to late 70s. Um, there's no question of that. And and even before that, Gary was doing so much in Kim Thompson. And, um, you know, they're, they're an important part of the fandom scene. I mean, they helped to create the Eisners early on when it was still called the Jack Kirby Awards. Right. Uh, also talk about the book as well and the, and the documentary as well the audio documentary um so i i was glad to go to fanographics um you know for the cachet and for the esteem and just because they also they put out a book i'd recommend highly called we told you so which is the oral okay. history of graphics itself um that cool. i read while i was working on the podcast just for some background research along with a bunch of other books and documentaries that was consuming at the time just to kind of give me as much information as possible in addition to the interviews and i read we told you so the oral history of fanographics and i said you know i I love gary i love i love the people who are involved in this company i I love what they're doing ghost world love and rockets all of their great you know vintage collections of peanuts and prince valiant and whatnot and i said these are the people i need to go to and we were just very lucky that stan sakai and Hoche Anderson, as I said, who are regular cartoonists for Fanographics, said, we'll talk to Gary for you. We'll, we'll get Gary to, nice. to come on board. And, and immediately Gary agreed with it. I, we've, we released the podcast through Sirius and, and Stitcher July of last year. I think I had to deal with Gary by September. I mean, it was like a two or three month period where he listened to the podcast series. He and I talked a couple of times and was like, this is, you know. This, this makes sense. This is this is what what fan graphics should be doing. And, you know, here we are another year later and it's coming out now. So um, 
I, I feel very, very lucky to be able to do this with them. And because it is fanographics, you know, it'll be probably at your local comic book store and hopefully at your local bookstore. Um, again, you know, it's just the way of the world in 2022 and 2023. Absolutely. Please buy it on Amazon. Please review it for us. Uh, that helps. Um, but uh, yeah, it'll, it'll be everywhere. And uh, it'll also be coming out as an audiobook version through Blackstone, which is one of the largest audiobook companies worldwide, the same day, um, read by a cast of different voice actors, including Scott Shaw, um, one of my very good friends that I met through this process, who's one of the Comic-Con co-founders and cartoonists and everything else, anything to do with geek culture, comics, or animation or anything Scott Shaw's had some, you know, something to do with. And anyone listening to this right now, especially this far in the show, probably yeah. knows who Scott Shaw is. And, you know, he's one of the kings of the scene. And uh, I'm very proud to have him as a friend and a collaborator. And he's one of the people who reads uh, for the audiobook version coming out as well. Awesome. Very cool. Well, Matthew, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a pleasure. Um, and pick up the book, go to Amazon local bookstore check it out um leave a review that's always gonna help um thank you again matthew and it was a pleasure talking to you today thank you kevin i appreciate it all right of course thank you so much yep okay. bye-bye right. bye-bye all right and we are back um i want to thank matthew again for coming on the podcast that was really really cool that was a lot of fun you know i talked People talk a lot about like social media in general, right? And how sometimes it could be a very kind of negative space, right? Like people, we all know, right? We've seen the Twitter discourse. We've done all this. We've done all that. Um, but I've gotten some pretty cool um, opportunities to interview some really cool people using things like Twitter and stuff. Uh, this was a LinkedIn kind of hookup. But um, but yeah, social media could be a good thing sometimes. So you never know who you're going to meet on there and people willing to talk to you. And don't be afraid to reach out and and ask if they'd be interested in talking to you. Um, so that book uh, will be out September 6th. Um, you'll be able to get it. Uh, like he says in the interview, he recommends, he wants people to support local bookstores, but um, as far as his pocket goes and his publisher pockets go, he said, get on Amazon. So go to amazon.com, <laughs> check it out. Um, he's also written some other really cool books. If you get a chance, um, go listen to the audio podcast that he was talking about, but he's also written books on the Simpsons, a uh, book called uh, Slimed about Nickelodeon. And he also worked on a documentary feature about Nickelodeon. He's got comic books, everything. So if you get a chance, you know, Google, Google them you'll find a bunch of cool stuff. He's done comic books. He's done all kinds of cool stuff. So um, thank you again, Matthew, and um, hope you a lot of success with your book. Um, so um, let's move into um, some other movie drama. Well, not other movie drama, but some drama that's been going around lately. Um, so there's a movie coming out called Don't Worry, Darling. Um, this movie starts, uh, stars Florence Pugh, and um, Harry Styles, as well as Mr. Chris Pine. Chris Pine's in it as well. It's directed by Olivia Wilde. Um, but there's been some, uh, let's just say, behind-the-scenes drama going on as we speak, I think. Um, so as far as it stands, Florence Pugh wants nothing to do with the movie. <laughs> she is out. She is pushing it away. She is distancing herself as much as possible. Um Basically, what happened was there was some drama where uh, Olivia Wilde, uh, she claimed that she fired Shia LaBeouf. Is it LaBeouf or LaBeouf? I always say LaBeouf. I don't Is know. Is it LaBeouf? Yeah. Shia LaBeouf from um, the project before Harry Styles was cast. Um, then a video leaked where she was apparently begging him to come back. Uh, he apparently quit. Uh, he said on the record that he quit. Um, there's a video with Olivia Wilde begging him to come back and basically throwing Florence Pugh under the bus, under the, talking yeah. about how she's being a brat. Um, she needs to learn to work with others and whatnot. Um, listen, I don't like to get into too much gossip on this show, um, but I feel like, I mean, A, this is a pretty big movie for Olivia Wilde. Like this is her second directorial uh, you know, um, effort right after Booksmart, which I thought was amazing. I loved Booksmart. Um, 
what do you think this means for the project, man? Do you think, uh, do you think the general public even cares to be honest? I mean, do you think it's even going to leave a mark on it? Um, what do you think about, uh, do, I mean, do, do you think it's a movie the public's going to want to go see in the first place? I, I was super interested after that trailer dropped because yeah. that trailer looked, was made it look incredible. Like I was like, wow. Um, I think the only people that care about this kind of stuff is movie nerds like us. Oh, right, like right. People right. who are into like celebrity gossip news. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is really interesting. I also think that WB is just cursed. Like they just cannot catch a break. Uh, it uh, is WB. I didn't even realize it was WB. Yeah, it's another WB thing. So on top of like, you know, they just announced that they're pushing back Aquaman. They're pushing yeah. back Shazam. Probably for the better. I think that's great. Um you know, on the DC side of things, as well as the Ezra Miller stuff, uh, as well as the Amber Heard stuff. And now there's like this stuff, you know, JK what I mean? Rowling, the JK Sorry. Rowling stuff. Like, yeah, I mean, just we can just go down like a long list of of unfortunate things that are happening at the WB. Um, I, I'm rooting for Olivia Wilde because, you know, I did not see that her previous movie, Booksmart, but I heard it oh, was Booksmart really, really well received. Yeah, you can um, check that out. So. Um, I I like the project, so I I just yeah, it's kind of unfortunate because I remember the day, the first that I heard of this was that like the the second trailer dropped and Florence Pugh mysteriously did not post about it or right. like like share it on her social media. Not that she's like has to, but you know it's kind of strange that she wouldn't on something that she's a lead on. Um, and then there were rumors going around that her and Olivia Wilde were not getting along. Uh, because of the Harry Styles thing, because they started right. dating and the yeah. onset stuff, um, and that kind of went away. And then, like, I heard a few days ago that, like, oh, um, she kind of made a statement in an interview of like why she fired Shia LaBeouf, but it was kind of like eloquently put, like, you know what I mean? I just wanted to support Florence and like right. his whole situation with FK Twigs. And then the next day, that video leaks, which I assume is from earlier. Like when this was all kind of going down. Yeah. It um, was. And then on top of that, like Shia himself kind of came out, I think, to Vanity Fair mm-hmm. uh and and kind of cleared the air, was like, bro, I didn't I didn't quit. Right, like, exactly. Or like I quit. I didn't I didn't get fired. Um he also like it's and it's pretty interesting. I watched maybe the first like ten minutes of it, has an interview that just dropped yesterday on YouTube with John Bernthal. John Bernthal has a series. Oh, yeah called real ones kind of like hot ones but it's just like real brutal like just down to, like oh my god interesting um interviews um and he yeah interviews shia and it's just so real like um it's it's really definitely worth like if you're into like hearing this kind of stuff it's really like worth listening to like shia being like is that just, the one where he said that he really hurt um fka twigs yeah. and stuff yeah okay. yeah um, so you might have seen like clips of it on TikTok yeah. or something, um, but the whole interview is it's it's really like cool. Like John's really good about everything. Like he's he doesn't like he doesn't like he's not walking on eggshells around Shia. Like he's like I, I think they're close enough that he can like mm-hmm. be real with him, but like still be super supportive as a friend. Um, Absolutely. Uh, and Shia was just being like very uh, honest about everything. So I don't know. I, I think it's it's all really really interesting. Um, I, I, it sucks for Olivia Wilde because she totally got caught in a lie. Yeah. Um. So, uh, and I really like for Florence Pugh. I kind of feel bad because I feel like she's kind of caught in the middle of this whole thing. So. Same. I love Florence Pugh. Um. I think that she. I think I like though that she's kind of like she hasn't really, like she's not firing back or anything. Yeah. She's just kind of like stepping away from it. And one of the big things on Twitter right now is that uh, Chris Pine is just kind of like just (laughs) like he's just that guy that like has no drama has no nothing he's just kind of like stepping back too um and i think if anything's going to happen i think that he's going to step back you know step away from it as much as possible too to support florence and stuff so i mean it is just drama um i hope i do want to see the movie i i hope it does well um but olivia wilde man We'll see. We'll see what happens. You know, I have faith because like when I equate this to like music, some of my favorite bands are like tumultuous. Like like sometimes when bands don't get along and there's just so many like strong personalities, they mm-hmm. like like some of the best music comes out of it. Oh that. yeah. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. So, so maybe hopefully 
that we can equate that to movies too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so um, can we just talk about some Fantastic Four news real quick? Yes. Some um, casting. So this is, or not casting, some uh, direct directing rumors. Um, well, it's been confirmed in the trades, but I don't know if it's been confirmed from Marvel or Disney yet. Um, but uh, the movie has a new director. So before uh, it was supposed to be John Watts, uh, director of Spider the Spider-Man trilogy, the new one, Tom Holland one. Um, but now it's going to be Matt Shankman, who also directed uh, numerous episodes of WandaVision. Um, he also epi- directed one of my favorite episodes of television, The Nightman Cometh from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Yeah, that was, um, yes. Yeah. That's epic. That's and, awesome. Uh, I think he's an interesting choice. I think he has the style. I, I honestly can't really talk too much about it because I don't really know much about what he's done other than, you know, he's done a lot of TV. Um, I don't think he's done any feature films. If I'm, He might have done I, one or two. No, but he's worked on uh, some pretty WandaVision, Game of Thrones, obviously It's Always Sunny. Um, I know he worked on The Boys, which is another big one. Um, American Gothic. There was a, like billions. Oh, so he there... Apparently he was on board of the, a new Star Trek movie too, but he dropped out. Right. Um, and recently. then succession which i know is okay. super um super huge right now so uh pretty good pedigree as far as television goes i know feige was mentioning that he wanted to find somebody that could that feige himself could be hands off with mm-hmm. this like uh, he just wanted to have a director that he could trust and just like let them do their own thing um and yeah. you know i i'm not against this no you know? neither am i um i think it'll be a good fit and i hope i just hope that they they stick Hope they have a good style. Yeah, I, I obviously Marvel isn't known for being dark or anything like that. I just hope that they have hit the right tone. And yeah. I felt like John Watts would have been perfect. Like John Watts has that tone and that style. Yeah. Um. So yeah, who knows? Um. It's probably gonna be. It's probably gonna be awesome. Just like most of the other Marvel movies. So, um, yeah. we'll see. Um. That one's slated. To, I mean. Uh, they're going to be announcing. Uh, they're going to be announcing more stuff at D twenty three, right? Like they're yeah. going to be like. I know there's more uh, Phase six projects they haven't even touched yet. They haven't announced, and this one will probably have casting and probably a little bit more information as the time gets closer. So, um, can't wait for D twenty three. It's going to be se- September. Yeah. Um, of course, when the show's not not airing, but um, <laughs> it'll still we'll still find a way to talk about it. We have the pastrami podcast, like I said, and stuff. So, um, one other thing I kind of want to talk about real quick was um something I did today, and I kind of want to like you know they don't yes. need promotion, but um I just had a blast. So right now I'm currently in Seattle, um, and I went to go check out the uh, Mopop today. They call it Mopop. It's a museum of pop culture in downtown Seattle, right under the Space Needle. It's beautiful. Um, so it used to be when I used to live here, it was the Experience Music Project, right? So they had, it was a music museum and they had even the shape of the, the building itself is designed to look like a broken guitar. It's designed, you know, from the top, it's supposed to look like a, like Jimi Hendrix's broken guitar. Um, but they changed it over the years. Uh, now it's the Museum of Pop Culture where they just have all kinds of exhibits. Anything you love, you'll find something there. Um So just a rundown of what they have. They have a uh, history of hip hop exhibit. Um, They have a Nirvana exhibit. Um, So the history of hip hop exhibit was really cool. Like I showed you guys, but you see like it has one of Biggie Smalls' suits there, like one that he used to (laughs) wear. Like, and it was like, when you look at the size of it, you're like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. He's Biggie, Biggie Smalls. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just runs down the history of hip hop in a very cool way. And I'm not a huge hip hop guy. Um, I grew up with it and I obviously know what it is and it's always kind of been a part of my life, but I wasn't really expecting to be hit with all of the emotions and the feelings I was while I was walking through that. Um, there are tributes to Aaliyah, tributes to Tupac, uh, tributes to Biggie, um, and just you know, any kind of hip hop pioneer you could think of um, is represented there. Uh, They have stuff, you know, talking about the Beastie Boys, even Kanye West, like, uh, you know, all these, you know, Run DMC, all these old rappers, things like that. Um, And it was a lot of fun. And I think 
one of the coolest things. Um, yeah, so that was really cool. They even have a you, you know who MF Doom is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, they had his mask on display, which That's was really so cool. cool. Um, and all that stuff. So went out there, uh, the Nirvana exhibit. So pretty much everything got me with nostalgia. Anything that had to do with the music aspect of it was just like it hit you like a pound, like a pound of bricks, like they say, right? Like there's a Nirvana exhibit. You go in there, it's Kurt's guitar, um, Dave Grohl's old drum set from Nirvana, um, Chris's um, bass um, has all just anything you can think of Nirvana. They're playing the music. You're watching videos. You can't help but get caught up in like the emotion of it all, right? You're like, man, like this is actually, you know, handwritten lyrics by Kurt Cobain, his shirt, wow. his sweaters, all these things that you're just like these iconic um, pieces, these iconic things that that you're seeing in real life, and it's just blows your mind. Um, so Nirvana, and then you go out. They had this guitar room with just everyone's guitar. They had Buddy Holly's guitar. They had. Um, you know, pretty much any guitar hero you can think of, their <laughs> guitar was there. And it was incredible. Um, they had, uh, gosh, I can, I, can, I don't know how to say it. Uh, Carrie Berns, Bernstein, Bernstein. I think it's Bernstein, uh, Sleater Kinney and um, Portlandia. Right. Um, they had uh, some of her guitars there. That was really cool to see. Um, they had the uh, all kinds of really, really cool stuff. So you go in there, you go up, you know, they have a Pearl Jam exhibit which was really cool. Like that one really got me. Like you have all this Pearl Jam merchandise from the early nineties, just like everywhere. Like they have the life-size Funko pops there too, of the whole band, uh, take pictures, things like that with them. That's cool. Really, really cool. All this memorabilia again, music's playing. You're just in it and you're there. Um, and they also have stuff, you know, dedicated to movies. So they had a sci-fi exhibit, which I'll send you guys more pictures later, but they had, everything from an actual little uh, Jawa, Jawa, like, you know, prop mm. to like um, Greedo's actual, um, the actual head and the, the hands of uh, Battlestar Galactica, Ghostbusters, uh, anything you could think of, there was something there. Um, There's another room that had like these sci-fi icons. So it had like uh, alien mask with Mulder and Scully's like freaking back. It had <laughs> like awesome. um, Luke's hand cut off and a lightsaber um, and the actual lightsaber, like all this stuff. Wow. Um, there's a fantasy area, which, which you would have loved. Actually, I was going to tell you about this. They had a, 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 an original like OG Dungeons and Dragons manual. Like, on Oh this, my God. And like, wow. it was like, it's like a hardbound book. And like thick and like just crazy. They had it on display. Like you couldn't touch it, but it was in a in a case. Um, this whole room was dedicated to anything fantasy. So there was Harry Potter's glasses were in there, like the ones actually worn by Daniel Radcliffe. Like wow. all these cool things. And then um my favorite, the reason why the thing that really caught my eye and I had to go because I had to see this was they have a history of horror exhibit, which you go in. And it's super dark, like super creepy, right? They have videos playing, like they have different directors talking about like The Exorcist and Suspiria and all these movies. Um, they had props on display from like, you know, they actually had like a uh, Jason Voorhees from Friday the 13th, like a full size like mannequin, but he was wearing like the actual Friday the 13th mask and stuff. They had a Michael Myers. Uh, they actually had the Blair Witch prop sticks along with the actual camera that was from the movie um just so much cool stuff guys i cannot recommend it enough it is kind of emotional overkill so if you're a sensitive person you're going to get hit with nostalgia and you're probably going to cry a little bit um because it's so cool to be around these just these icons right whatever it is music movies tv whatever there's something you're going to love check it out if you're ever in seattle i cannot promote i cannot say it more good things i was there for so i was there for four hours but i like took breaks so i went to go get lunch in seattle center walked around the seattle center and stuff and um you know kind of took my time through it there's also one so i told my family we have to do this because there's a uh, sound room where you can literally you can play a guitar you can play a keyboard play drums or you can do vocals and you can create your own music tracks so you can go in there you can record i'm like imagine the chaos we can have oh, wow. probably like summon some demons or something like, who knows? <laughs> um so you can do all that stuff there there's also an indie group indie um indie game showcase 
where they just have, you know, systems set up everywhere, PC set up, and you can actually try out the latest like indie games from indie, you know, a lot of them that haven't even been released yet. Um, there's a, a room up top, which was dedicated to all um, like Afro culture, like costumes and stuff. So you walk in and the whole cast of like Wakanda is their uniforms are there. So you see, you know, T'Challa right in the middle and you have Shuri's and the, um, the de- what are they called? Uh, the Dora Milaje. Dora Milaje, like yeah. their outfits. And uh, there's costumes from everything from uh, Roots to um, Amistad uh to uh, coming to america coming america too you know uh, do the right thing all these really really cool wow. things so um there's even that um from that malcolm x movie with uh not malcolm x um the martin luther king movie with david was it just martin or king i don't remember what it was called but um yeah I, I, yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah it was a good time uh really really fun emotional experience and not emotional in like a bad way like it's not depressing or anything it's just like you get to see these things and it's really cool and um, highly, highly recommend checking it out. So if you guys are ever in Seattle, come check that out. So yeah. that sounds like such a blast. I'm jealous, dude. Oh. We're going to have to, again, pastrami trip, man. I know. <laughs> so, I know. Come on up. Um, dude, we, we got to do that. We'll, we'll figure that out. We'll figure that out. Um, but anyways, um, Christian, thank you for joining me today. I really, really appreciate it. Always um, a blast. Uh, mid-season finale like this is the first time i get to say that this is our mid-season finale (laughs) um it's been a really really fun 13 episodes um and like i said we'll be back in november um with some really really cool stuff trying to get some really fun stuff lined up and everything like that um a bunch of nerdy stuff is going to happen by then i'm sure so um (laughs) otherwise um you can follow us on on twitter Instagram, Facebook. Um, you can find me at Kevin underscore Hoskinson on most of those. And where can people find you again, Christian? You can find me at uh, Christian Nacorda, N-A-C-O-R-D-A. No spaces between at uh, on Instagram. I'm on Twitter too. It's all the same. Uh, just my first and last name. Awesome. Um, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, again, feel free to follow us on there. And um, yeah. So all because we're on break doesn't mean we don't want to talk to you. So feel free to reach out. Let's chat. Let's chat about nerdy stuff, man. I'm Let's always do down for it. So, um, and also don't forget to tune in to the um, Pastrami Nation podcast every Tuesday. Those are still going to be going strong. Um, this week is going to be a um, one of our normal podcasts. We're going to be talking about a lot of fun stuff on that one. We're going to be talking about some Game of Thrones. It's going to be fantasy based. So we're mm. going to have a lot of fantasy stuff to talk about as well as some movie news and stuff like that. And then the week after uh, brick therapy. So every other week it rotates. So join us on there as well. Mm. And those are also released as audio on the same network. You find these mm. ones. So um, yeah. All right. Well, thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for checking it out. I hope everyone's doing great. Uh, the weather's cooling down now, which is good, right? We're all getting cooler. Finally. We're all getting happier. Um, so I uh, hope you guys have a good uh, fall when it hits and a good rest of your summer. Be safe out there. Take care of yourself. Take care of each other. All right, you guys. As usual, stay nerdy, America. Bye. Bye, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>